Dispatch to Travelers, and welcome to another episode of Tales of Tavat, a Genshin Lore podcast. Last week, we gushed over Sainari. I mean, we talked about the General Mahamatra, Sino. This week, we'll be discussing from the Melusine to the Fortress of Meropede, everything we've learned, seen, and experienced in the Hydro Nation. Are you yearning for some visual exposition to please your eye flesh? Well, good news. We post all kinds of things for you to look at over at our website. That's talesoftavat.com. While you're on our site, make sure that you check out our past seasons and special episodes, along with a brand new page of resources that includes links to the manga and a very large map, um, artist spotlights from the community, wallpapers to download, and some of our favorite Genshin merch. Let us know what you think of this week's episode and what you'd like to see in the future by emailing us at talesofdevotpod at gmail.com, following us on Twitter, Tales of Devot, or following us on Instagram, Tales of Devot Pod. Additionally, you can feel free to buy us a cup of coffee on Ko-fi, where you could just go to Ko-fi and look up Tales of Devot to find us. But there is no pressure, of course. Any coffees bought will go to bettering the podcast in every way possible. That being said, let's dive get it, <laughs> into Fontaine. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, are we still talking about Sino? Is that where we're getting the dad jokes from? <laughs> yes, a little bit. It's reminiscent. Yeah. <laughs> so I think we've all been super excited about Fontaine. And I know we've gotten a lot of emails and messages from followers being like, when are you going to do a Fontaine episode? Well, here we are. And I've got to say, I've been excited to talk about this since Dawei announced the underwater fighting system during the live stream about <laughs> Fontaine. Yes. As we've been playing through Fontaine while recording episodes about older stuff, it's been sprinkled in here and there, but now we finally get to just dedicate a full episode to it. Give it its own moment. <laughs> yeah. It's no longer speculation. We get to do shit. It's your time to shine, Fontaine. Mm-hmm. So without any explanation, without any thought, who is currently your favorite character in Fontaine, minus Reminae? Oh, fuck. Sidreen. Nouvellet. Nuvi for me. Or Nervi, depending on how you like to say his name. Nervellet. <laughs> Brandon, yours was? Nouvellet. Okay, Tiff. Sidreen. And Al. I'm I'm stuck between Navi and Risley because I love them both so much. I mean, yeah. one's got a great ass. <laughs> and one's yeah. got great tits. It's hard, man. Yeah, but then you got to add in Glurin to that, too. Ooh, you know, the three of them. Yes. <laughs> Glurin and Risley is like a wet dream. Mm-hmm. This, oh, no. this is the best wet dream ever. <laughs> and, and I will go with Navia just because other than when Tepe died. Oh, R.I.P. Tepe. Navia's storyline did make me cry. <laughs> it did make yeah. me cry. As someone who only has one parent left and that is their father. And they're very old. It's like, oh, you're touching a bad subject here. I'm going to I'm going to I'm cried. I cried <laughs> so bad. <laughs> Yeah, Navia's story, which we'll jump into in a few minutes, was so upsetting, but also so empowering. Like, she never gave up. She was like girl power all the way. Fucking justice! She truly is a Geo, though. So headstrong that it's like, I'm not going to give up. Even when I should, I'm not going to give up. And smart. Like, yeah, you're right. She That's like the, besides Ito, that <gasps> is the stereotype for Geo. <laughs> uh-huh. He's headstrong. He's but... headstrong, but he's smart in the emotional way. He got great emotional control except you know 
when I mean no even when he's mad he has great like understanding of his emotional state not when he loses beetle battles to kids then he's pretty pissed <laughs> well but he also understands that he lost fair and square yes but he's pissed <laughs> but he's pissed I mean I would be too because god damn it like I wanted to win so characters aside we'll jump into all this in a minute what were your like first impressions of Fontaine like what was the first thing that really stood out to you or you were like, wait, I better remember this for next time? Because for me, it was those bags that Linny and Lynette were making so that if oh. people had to like escape Fontaine in a hurry, they could throw all their shit in a bag, basically like the Mary Poppins bags of Fontaine. <laughs> I mean, that's some good Mary Poppins bag, yo. I think like we even sent from a day at one point to go get supplies for it. I was like, what is happening? My first impression of it was just like, oh, it's Mondstadt part two with water. <laughs> oh no. I did I did not have that, but we'll talk about that in a second. Not in a bad way. Like I think it takes the great things about Mondstadt and then just sort of goes in a little bit different of a direction in terms of the environment, like different types of trees and that kind of stuff. But it still felt very Mondstadt where it's like grassy hills and trees and sunshine and kind of gave that vibe. Like a classic European kind of a feel. Yeah, which makes sense. I mean, it's sort of based on France, right? Yeah, France, Germany, it seems like that. Spain. More France and Rome. And specifically on a time period of France that is Art Nouveau, <laughs> which I don't know how they got me again, but oh my God, they got me again. Yeah, the architecture is so pretty. Yeah. Art Nouveau is something that like I didn't realize I loved so much until I saw the distinction between Art Nouveau and Art Deco. Yeah, I was going to say I'm not very well versed in architecture and I was going to ask like how is that different from Art Deco? So Art Deco kind of how like things happen in a call and response. Art Nouveau is the modernized architecture style that integrates natural shapes. So we don't see the perfect lines. We don't see perfect circles. We see that kind of wave. We see really intricate metalwork and a lot of like, if you look up pictures of France and specifically the iron wrought green train like substations, that's what a lot of people, when they think of Art Nouveau, that's usually the style they go to. But Oh, right. So yeah, I, I know what you're talking about where they don't use straight lines. Like I know Barcelona has a lot of it. Yeah, it's very decorative and it's very flourished and a, a, like abundant. Like, you know, you see like a lot of excess of ornamental pieces. Yes. There, nothing's like minimalist. There's not streamlines where Art Deco is going to be a little bit more straightforward and very like, you know, it's not going to deviate too much from it. So like Art Deco is most of the iconic buildings in New York City are actually Art Deco, especially mm -hmm. the Empire State Building. The Chrysler Building. But I would still say they're extravagant because one of the main things with Art Nouveau is that it uses natural elements and natural materials, while Art Deco uses very lavish and very new age at the time materials so lots of like reflective glass there's a lot of uranium glass happened to be a thing there's like some very amazing art deco fish bowls that people would just have randomly radiating in their homes but a lot of velvet a lot of ivory so it's still lavish but in a very different sense 
I gotta say, the fact that you guys know this much about architecture and like that that's what the first thing you thought about. And I'm like, look at this bag. <laughs> you know what? As an artist by trade, I guess you could say, it's not the first thing I looked at. I looked at the animals <laughs> because I wanted to know what could go into my teapot. And I've been obsessed with the Fontaine animals. I thought I was obsessed with the Sumeru animals, but the Fontaine animals, the way they interact, like they're not just there doing their own thing. Like they actually do things together. I was actually showing a video to one of our friends last night about these sea lions they are doing like calisthenics together. Like the big one shows the little guys what to do. And yeah, I have so this little cute. picture of like a family of squirrels and their pine cones. And like, it's very cute. Like they're not just off on their own anymore. They are actually interacting with one another. And obviously they aren't with us too. And then there's Baguette. I mean, fuck, it's a dog named Baguette. Come on. I love it. It's it's the best <laughs> thing in the fucking world. <laughs> Baguette is the best animal in... I want to steal him! I need him! If anybody has not seen Baguette, you probably did because it's the first place we go. But when you first land in Fontaine in that uh, little area where we first meet Farina, there is a little dog on the left-hand side with his owner. Well, he's not little. He's actually a nice prestigious dog with a nice hat. Uh, he That is where you can find Baguette. <laughs> okay, so Brandon, you mentioned that you thought this was like Monsat 2.0 why it's just the environment itself it has that sort of european like cheerful fairy tale kind of vibe you know especially with the sunflowers yeah like everything just sort of feels like it's a like a different region of the same country which makes sense i mean it should look like that if you think about the real world regions that they're basing these parts of the story in so it makes sense to me, and I, I like that it's like that because it feels like a natural expansion of that area. Definitely. So I do want to just give a quick disclaimer to travelers listening to this episode. We are mostly from here on out going to be talking about the first two parts of the Archon quest. So that will go up until the end of our time in jail, aka the Palace of Meticulous. Oh my god. <laughs> uh, not Marmalade anymore? I, it all depends on the mood. So... <laughs> If you guys have not done the Archon line and do not want spoilers at all, please skip this episode. Yes. And we might talk about some world quests a little bit. We will be talking about some of the world quests that some of the lore does combine into the Archon acts or make it make sense a little bit more or make you go, what the fuck? Just a little mm -hmm. bit more. So that we want to make sure that we get those all in. So there is a heavy spoiler warning into this one. But diving into things, we're actually going to start at Carava Ribbit, right? That's actually where we started the Fontaine Archon line. We go there and Deha tells us goodbye as we're leaving for Fontaine. Oh shit, I forgot all about that. Yeah. I was so confused. I was really sad. It makes so much sense though, because as like, we didn't really see it in Liwei or Monsa or in Azuma where it's like, yeah, no, we're, we're heading off on our next adventure. And it's like, well, why? We have so much fun here. I feel like Deha was kind of filling in for the audience a little bit of like, oh, like we, we, we may not see them again, technically. <laughs> Right. And I th think, too, there was so much time that lapsed from the last Archon quest that really had to do with Sumeru quest. And we hadn't done anything since the Scaramouche Archon quest. Exactly. So I think it kind of wanted to be like, all right, your time to move on now. It's not like when mm -hmm. you finish Li Wei and Zhang Li is like, all right, next stop, cross the ocean. Yeah, <laughs> it's like, go find the other Archon down there. Yeah, it was very different. So we 
Then go all the way to the edge of the desert where they gave us a beautiful unlocked waypoint in case no one had done the desert. And we look out and we see Fontaine, which just looks like a giant island floating in the sky with water coming down from it. <laughs> I have not been able to climb it. It reminded me of the Do- is it is it the Dover Cliffs in England? <laughs> oh, I don't I feel like I have to Google that one. It reminded me of Niagara Falls. <laughs> Wait, Fiends, you didn't climb that? Oh, I climbed it. But bees, now that you mentioned uh, Niagara, like, oh my God, yes. <laughs> it's like, wait a minute, hold up. Are we going to go down these horseshoes <laughs> in a barrel? I've only been to Niagara Falls once and I was on the state side, which is the less fun side. Yeah. So I did just have to Google Niagara Falls. <laughs> the less fun side. It is the less fun side. Oh my God, imagine what is the Fontaine Falls freezing. That'd be so cool. Where's the Saritza? She's she's around here somewhere. Yeah, or Shenha. Shenha could do it. Yeah, Shenha was able to do that whole thing, you know. The whole tidal wave, yeah. Do you think if all the cryo characters we've met so far got together, they'd be able to freeze that fa- waterfall? Oh, yeah. Yes. Uh, I think Shenha could do it by herself. Yeah, probably by herself. Without taking the ropes off. Yeah. With the ropes off, everyone just dies with yeah. it freezing. Because <laughs> she freezes everybody's water inside their body. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> if she were to freeze it, though, wouldn't she technically also be harming the people of Fontaine still? Nah. Nah. They just might be able to use the aqua boat. It'd be fine. The aqua boat. Oh, my Our God. new way of transportation. After the summer event, I was really hoping we were going to get a roller coaster. When we were in the Klee's little imaginary world, I was so into that roller coaster. So the aqua boat is a not an even trade-off, but it was still something fun and silly. We're talking about the aqua bus, right? Oh, sorry, aqua bus. Do you guys actually use the aqua bus? Because I don't. I mean, not now that I have the... Uh... The waypoints unlocked. Did you use it at all? Yeah, I've only used it once. I've only I, used it I too as well. And for one, is just gorgeous. But also because every time I do it, I feel like in Hercules <laughs> when they're riding the aqueducts. Oh no. <laughs> which is again, I'm gonna talk a lot about Rome and, and Greek shit throughout this episode. Oh, I was like, is that Disney again? You've never seen Disney's Hercules? No. You don't need to. Trust me. No, you do. It's the, the best Disney movies. No. Yeah. I haven't either. That's fine. You've never heard the, no way, no how, I won't say it, no, no, where Meg sings about being in love with Hercules. Nope. No. <laughs> Not at all. Good. I'm surprised that you went with that one. Not oh my god, the, I love... I will find my I will go the distance. I, I, I've heard that song. Or the muses. That get like they jump off the pot and they start singing like they're like ding ding ding. <laughs> anyway, Hercules aside, so we go to this waypoint. We see Fontaine, and then you know it depends on who you are. Some people swim, some people freeze, some people actually unlock the boat waypoint and took the boat over. Whichever way you did, you get to the bottom floor of Fontaine. Actually, <laughs> it's not the bottom floor because the Palace of Medical Needs is the palace, is the bottom floor. <laughs> medical what? Medical needs. Damn. I need an epidural right well, now. I mean, that is one name for it. I mean, they do have a nurse there, a dedicated nurse. They have an infirmary. Infirmary. It's great. Nurse. Nurse. Are you singing the Sparks the Rescue song now, Allison? No, I was I was referencing Willem. <laughs> 
Oh, and we get there, and that's when we meet Lynette first, right? If I'm remembering correctly. I legit, when that happened, because she's standing there, and I thought, is this going to be a moment where I'm going to talk to Lynette and Lenny is going to come up behind me and pickpocket me? Am I going to be fucking swindled? <laughs> Meanwhile, Lenny's trying to stop a pickpocketer himself. Right? Yeah, well, Lynette is reminiscing about <laughs> her and her brother. And then that's when she tells us that Fontaine is actually a lake that even though people refer to Fontaine's waters as a sea, it's actually an inland lake filled with fresh water. That reminds me of all the Great Lakes because they're technically as big as seas, but they are lakes. Right. Lakes. Freshwater lakes. Which I was like, is that just them trying to come up with a way for us to breathe the water? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> this is why we don't dehydrate here's a little fun fact for you the caspian sea is a lake oh, that makes sense yeah that's over me also googling the caspian jeopardy sea. <laughs> why do you guys know so much jeopardy <laughs> um lake superior acts more like an ocean rather than a lake which is why it has some of the most shipwrecks in a fresh body of water thank you edmund uh -huh. fitzgerald i knew you before the titanic <laughs> Why do you guys know so much about water? <laughs> I mean, I grew up on the Great Lakes. Tiffin Aller Oceanids confirmed. <laughs> now, are you going to try to kill me like Rodea? Or are you going to try to put a curse on me? I mean, I'm pretty sure I'm going to drink water and die one day. So, you know. Okay, so you're not Nuvalet. Got it. <laughs> We're just going to cry. No, the only thing I know anything about is the Dead Sea. And that's because it's it can get rid of like your psoriasis. <laughs> I got to go dive in the Dead Sea. Yeah, that's what we all should do, right? It's like the primordial seawater for the French. But so we meet Linny and Lynette. And we're not going to talk too much about Linny and Lynette. Just because we might possibly be doing an episode on like the sibling trio you know, maybe down the road. So we don't want to deep dive too much into them, but we do meet Linny and Lynette where Lynette tells us about the lake. Lynette also is 100% acting like a robot. Yeah. Very creepy. Confirmed robot? Catherine? No, no, definitely not confirmed. She just, I think, doesn't like people. Mm -hmm. So she pretends to be a robot. Yeah. Yeah, it's confusing. I like it. I think I'm going to start doing that in public. <laughs> I hope you do. But wouldn't it be crazy if, like, what if the real Lynette died and then Lenny had a mecha version created because he missed her? I mean, I could see it and I could see Fremenet helping to make it happen. So yeah. it's all possible. But we meet Lenny and Lynette and there's this weird little thing with a pickpocketer. And the pickpocketer ends up being so important later on. So, yes. you know, Linny sees this girl pickpocketing. She's a Monstadian, I believe. And Linny gets us to help him and Lynette, like, capture this pickpocketer. We take the elevator upstairs, and I'm like, whoa, there's an elevator to get to your actual island in the sky. Crazy. The longest elevator ride ever. Oh, <sighs> my God, it's so fucking long. I thought I broke the game the first time I took it. Yeah, <laughs> or when you hit the button, you have to wait, like, real time for it to come back to you. Yeah. Yeah, I was like, is this not working? Did I do something wrong? It gets really mad at you, too, if you reclick the button. Yeah, that's why I did it constantly. <laughs> it's like, culture worst is there, buddy. No! <laughs> and we get up there, and we don't capture the pickpocketer, correct? No. no. And she gets free. Remember that for the future. And, uh, you know, Lenny and Lynette, something happens. They're like, we'll see you later, I believe. And we're going to meet them at their apartment slash home. Little townhouse. 
Um, but in the meantime, we decide to take the aqua bus, not boat, like I was saying. And we meet our first Melusine. O-M-G. These cutie patooties. Yeah, what were first impressions on the Melusines? What are they? <laughs> and why are they so cute? I immediately was like, oh, Fontaine's Aranara. Oh, yep, a little bit. Um, yeah. I instantly, when I heard the name Melusine, I'm like, oh shit. Oh shit, I know exactly what this is. Why? Because I love European folklore and there's two versions of of this. There's the Northern European, which is like a water spirit. And then there's another one that's kind of more like a water nymph in Greek folklore. So like the fact that it came up, I was like, ooh. And I was excited. And then I was taken aback by how cute they were. And I'm like, this is not what I was expecting, but I love this. The way they sort of prance around in their cop uniforms. Oh my yeah. god. They're all the civil service of Fontaine. Like, they're the cops, they're the transportation, medical. <laughs> they take care of everything in Fontaine. It's interesting. Mm-hmm. And we do find out later on that the chief justice of Fontaine is really the person who pushed for them to be active members of society, which I think is cute. <laughs> yes. We'll talk more about that later. My first impressions, as dumb as it's going to sound, is I was thinking about Final Fantasy. Because in, like, all the Final Fantasies, they have, like, creatures that aren't human that talk and stuff. And for the most part, even our Tingyaris and Gorus are human, let's be real. Mm-hmm. So it was nice to see, like, an, a creature of sorts instead of just, like, a humanoid, like you said, Al. Like, it was like, yes, finally, like, we've been waiting for this. <laughs> So we jump on an aqua bus that is manned by a melazine and we head to like the center of the city, which is really, what do they call it, Fontaine? The Court of Fontaine. Thank you. It's so confusing because there's Sumeru City, the Court of Fontaine, and then there's just Mondstadt. Yeah, it's the Court of Fontaine, but it's not where the court is. No, it's not where the fucking court is. Like, what the fuck? (laughs) Makes no sense. I mean, they've got to build to it. As they expand, they're just going to, you know engulf it (laughs) i don't know maybe maybe not we shall see so when we get to the court of fontaine we then end up meeting up with linny and lynette at their apartment and they talk a little bit about their father and fremenet shows up and we're just vibing like there's nothing sus yet and linny invites us to see his show that night he's like you should come see my show like me and lynette are magicians and you're like oh shit magicians and we're like if we come see your show you take off that stupid hat Not the hats. <laughs> and tell Mona to take hers off while you're at it. <laughs> I know she's around here somewhere. Where's the steam bird? He's <laughs> dodging rent right now. <laughs> Hold on. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So we then agree to see their magic show and we head on over to the actual court of Fontaine. Yeah. Look, we got to go to court. Because one of the weird things in Fontaine is that their court is also their theater. Which so magnifique. <laughs> it's so beautiful because in a way the court system in many places is a facade yeah it's bullshit and when we first arrive at that beginning area we meet farina who comes out on sort of like a balcony type of thing and is just acting so dramatic so theatrical right oh my god yeah i forgot about that the audacity the hubris yeah and i remember playing that and having the same reaction sort of as traveler and paimon of like what the hell is going on around here like people are acting like this theater is the justice system of this <laughs> nation and that can't possibly be right can it but it is it basically is <laughs> I mean, I feel like we all feel a little better when we realize there's some kind of machine and that Nouvellet is really the one who sort of presides over the justice system and that it's not Farina who's just like trying to be popular. <laughs> I mean, you could have fooled me though, because at a certain point I was like, hold up, is she just like, is she the person behind the magic curtain just like pretending? <laughs> Oh, right. That's what I thought at first. Is she feeding things into the machine? When child is involved, I legit thought that was kind of something manipulated. But <laughs> still, there's still something fishy going on with that that we don't know yet. Well, let, you know, let's talk about that for a second. So before we actually get to the court, we run into child. Yo, he's being like act a good boy. <laughs> yeah, and um, I'm putting together a ton of context clues here from other parts of the Archon quest, but basically what we know by the end of the Archon line is that Child took time off to go on a quote-unquote vacation to Fontaine, which we find out Arlecchino is like... Of course, you know, child eventually causes some trouble while on his vacation. And she's like, of course, I have to clean up after this child's mess. And we run into him and he's like super sweet to us. And my favorite part is that he's trying to tell us the story of how he fell into the abyss. Right. Yeah. And he got interrupted. Yes. It's a traumatizing story. And he's like, no, 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 no. And this guy behind him is like, hey, punk, you want to fight? And child's like, I'm talking. And he comes back to us and he's like, and the guy is continuously trying to fight child and child eventually turns around and it basically is like do you know a harbinger and the guy's like fuck fuck and yeah i love great. that he's great. like i'm trauma dumping over here can you back the fuck up yeah and we also find out so child kicks their ass but then we also find out that child isn't feeling very much himself and that he's been struggling because his vision hasn't been working oh yeah he says it once he's stepped into Vontaine, it feels like it's not working he said that he just hasn't been working and he doesn't need it so he gives it to us here hold this for me yes and he's dropping 
all this lore that we already knew from reading like his character stories and stuff. But like for people that don't dig into the lore behind the scenes, it might have been like the first time that they were hearing about him falling into the abyss or whatever and and his master skirk that we knew about because we're nerds, but that, you know, maybe the more casual player would not have heard of. And of course, I immediately was like, oh, so skirk is about to get involved in the storyline because that's why they're bringing it up. Like, this is all going to start coming into play in the actual story, which is great. We're so used to, like, nerding out on these sort of behind-the-scenes pieces of the lore in the game that when they actually finally start incorporating them into the main story and talking about them and saying stuff out loud, we're like, ah, yes, like, they're actually acknowledging all this story and, like, world-building that they've given us via text yes definitely and the second you saw a child even in the trailers for fontaine you were like shit has to go down now and knowing that we're gonna have two harbingers together hopefully fingers crossed at some point in the same nation is a lot to think about yeah that is a lot that's (gasps) but child aside and as much as it pains me to say that because i do love him we go to see this magic show and wow what a magic show oh my god oh my god someone legit died before it starts we actually meet Nuvalet too Ooh, yeah tell us about our first meeting with Nuv. yeah we go and like sit down we have like a front row seat because we're special and we go sit down and i think paimon's probably talking about something to eat and we notice somebody there who's just sitting stoically we sit right next to him Yeah, but it's like there's like a little extra space in between. And we start kind of like talking and he's like, um, do you want to ask me a question? But he's like, so like, (laughs) are you speaking of me? Do you want to be in my conversation? (laughs) And he like, it's very like coy and very, I don't know. He comes off very mysterious, at least to me in this in this situation. And we kind of get like a little like, ooh, this is the guy. (laughs) It's it's the monsieur. I will say, though, maybe to me, it seemed like he was, like, really awkward. Like, he didn't know what to say. Oh, yeah. He definitely did not know how to act around humans, which made it even better. I probably messaged one of you, and I immediately was like, this is the Hydro Dragon. I was like, there's no way. He's either a dragon or an otter. I don't know which one. The dragon otter. An otter? Yeah, because the otters kind of look like him that you could see in the water. What? (laughs) I mean, I feel like they try to make it look like he's probably the actual archon. And because, you know, they had given us clues that Farina is basically full of crap and was just sort of, you know, pretending to be as a like important as everyone thinks she is. So I think they were trying to do a mislead of like, oh, that must be the actual Hydro Archon. But I think it's also obvious that like, um, that's probably the Hydro Dragon because look at his hair. Yes, exactly. Like, he just looks like a dragon and his eyes. He's got the biggest horns, too. Horns? He's horns? Well, it, they're slicked back. Yeah, that's what I mean. Like, those things in his hair that look like... Oh, yeah, the antenna. Something, yeah, yeah, something on a dragon, like horns or whatever from a dragon. I never thought of them as horns. That's okay. I, the only reason I think of them as horns is because there's a very cute little fan art of all the Honkai Star Rail and Genshin characters that have horns. And it's the dragons... And they're all measuring their horns. Like, it's just Nouvellet. And it's just fucking giant, just spindly, whippy horns. And I'm like, this is, <laughs> this is great. This is- 
<laughs> this is my cup of petty. So we're watching this magic show. So we meet Nouvellet, Nuvi, as I like to call him. And we're watching the show with him. And Linny and Linnea are doing great. And all of a sudden, chaos ensues. Basically, they're doing this magic trick with two boxes. One is in the audience. One is on the stage. They've had a volunteer. And Linny is trying to trade spaces with the volunteer. And... We find out that Lynette pretends to be Linny at one point, like just a whole bunch of things. But long story short, the giant water thing in the sky, I forget, it was part of another magic trick they did, falls on the box and kills a worker. Dun, 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 dun. But in the meantime, the volunteer goes completely missing and there is only water left in her spot. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> and... There's a lot of questions because there are rumors in Fontaine that Fontanians can disappear if the primordial seawater touches them. And there's also a serial killer. And there's also a serial killer. Okay, yeah. Dark Ripper shit. What is happening in Fontaine? Lots of things. And it's great. Things get real dark. <laughs> Not to mention, too, the rumor of the curse of Fontaine on top of all this that Linny and Lynette tell us about when they tell us about their Mary Poppins bags where Fontaine is one day going to drown, basically. Yeah, one day that the waters of Fontaine will rise and they will absolve all of the people of Fontaine of their sins by basically dissolving them back into the water. Like They will be returned to the water from whence they came. And that's when we learn that primordial seawater, which apparently is seeping out into the lake, the Great Lake of Fontaine. And people have somehow found a way to weaponize it to just use on people to immediately make them dissolve if they touch it. Which is a big, big part of this arc online. Yeah, it's a big part of the whole region of Fontaine. We find out that Tavat used to be covered in primordial seawater and that it's a very different kind of water than what is currently covering most of Tavat and that most of the life on Tavat, whether it's things that crawl on the land or things that fly in the sky, most of them were actually created from this primordial water mm -hmm. and it's also described as being more like blood than water which is so gross yeah that is so weird and that the first creatures that were you know born of the water uh, of the primordial water they had to develop blood vessels just to sort of contain the primordial blood within their bodies and that's how they were born and that this primordial sea was originally controlled by the hydro sovereign dragon mm -hmm. until it died and then one of the four shades which is presumably the shade of life that's not an official name but people assume that one of the four shades of the primordial one is the shade of life and that it is what actually created the hydro sovereign as like the beating heart of the sea like empowered mm -hmm. the sovereign to be able to do that and to create life from the sea so it used to be controlled by the hydro sovereign well obviously the hydro sovereign gets defeated and or dies and so one of the four shades creates a new beating heart of the sea which was Egeria. and Egeria is the previous hydro archon so Egeria becomes the beating heart of the sea basically the new sovereign the new hydro sovereign but then also later becomes the archon and then becomes a puddle and then becomes uh, a pool. A little puddle. The pool. During the, the cataclysm, yeah. Egeria is the one that dies during the cataclysm and turns into the pool of Amrita. Where we put all of our sweet, sweet mems. 
Which also interesting, we haven't really heard anything about the Archon War in Fontaine so far. I'm sure that that's coming our way, but like we have an idea of like what some of the other people came out on top. You know, we kind of like we know Zhang Li's story mostly. We know a little bit about Sumeru during the Archon War too, and how they originally ruled together, and then you know people start dying and <laughs> their thruple fell apart. Maybe once Dainsleaf shows up, he'll start spilling all that kind of stuff. Because he's yeah. got to show up, you know? I feel like I feel like it also could be something we learned from Nouvellet. Because in his character teaser, or the collected miscellany, whatever one it is, he talks about the fact that he doesn't really have all of his memories from the past. And he's like slowly getting them back. So like I'm also curious Dainsley? if he might know. Well, I don't know, though. Nouvelle- it is. Dainsleaf does the same thing. He's the, I mean, I don't think that it's the same thing. Like, I don't necessarily think they, they lost their memories because of the same reason. But Dainsleaf doesn't have all of his memories, too. That's true. Yeah, I think with Dane, it's more of a matter of erosion. Whereas with Nouvelle, we find out that he's actually, you know, a human reincarnation of the Hydro Sovereign Dragon. Mm-hmm. So when he's reincarnated as a human, he doesn't have nearly like none of his powers are nearly as as powerful as they were back when he was a dragon and a lot of the memories of what happened when he was a dragon are also gone but when he be the human version is that when they missile like mysteriously put an r in his name because everybody keeps (laughs) saying it (laughs) i know like half of the characters say There's no R. got nerve. She got nerve. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, I'm not sure though. I think yeah. that's just like a people it's, trying it's to a pronounce it in a thing, French yeah. way. Yeah. <laughs> I think it just sometimes sounds a little bit more Irish, but it's it's, mm, it's like trying to say it in that nouvelle. Yeah. Yeah. It's in the French sound. I just call him nouvelle. I call him nuvi. Nuvi. Sometimes I like to call him nervy. Worcestershire sauce. Worcestershire sucking. Nope. Not yet. Not yet. So um, I'm going to take it back to the court of Fontaine where we've just witnessed a murder. And basically, Linny and Lynette are put on trial for the murder of their of their volunteer and this guy. Because this woman's MIA and this guy is dead. The assumption becomes that this woman is now part of this like 20-year-old serial killer issue where they have had the serial disappearances of women all around the same age and they are now accusing Linny and Lynette of not only murdering this guy but also being like the serial killer person which like I don't think either one of them are even 20 years old no they're not which is like what the fuck and if they are that means they started as toddlers Weren't they basically accusing him of maybe being like a copycat killer yeah. or something? Yeah, like that? Okay. Yes, a little bit. Yes. They do say that. But at first they make it seem like they're like, you've been doing this for 20 years. And I'm like, what? And he's like, no, I'm baby. I'm baby. <laughs> I'm baby. And this introduced, honestly, one of my favorite parts of the Archon Quest, which was like the clues <laughs> version of the game. Like it made it a lot more interactive, I felt. Well, plus we got to see Detective Paimon. Ah, <laughs> uh, Detective Paimon is everything. 
she's worth all of Fontaine. <laughs> all of Fontaine. <laughs> and they have like a little, they start a little thing like they, because, you know, they like to drop little things. And there's at one point just randomly she says, oh, let's get a Miss novel over here to read. Like, and then she buys one and she starts just randomly talking about how she's like, keeps reading these inspector type things. And apparently that's where she got her little glasses. <laughs> With a mustache. Oh, <laughs> uh, it's the funniest thing. She's so great. And if you guys don't know what we're talking about, basically there is this awesome play style where you go around gathering clues and we won't tell you all the clues. We'll just tell you the truth of the matter. And then you have to like put the pieces together basically and decide like what happened. And you're fighting the entire time the justice system, which what is the scale called? <laughs> oh, fuck. <laughs> Yeah, I wasn't Who's going to say one. it? <laughs> oh, come on. Just give it a try, fiends, please. The Ora, the Oradis de la Justice. I don't know. <laughs> Oradis de la Justice. <laughs> de Marovai. Oratrice or Mechanique d'Alice Cardinal. They can't just call it one thing. Like, that's just forever. Which, can we talk about that for a second? Like, their <laughs> justice system, despite having Chief Justice Nouvellet and their Hydro Archon Farina in the room at all times, is this, like, random-ass machine that just, like, pops out a letter and is like, bing! Guilty! <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, Postal Lord made it. Yeah, and it's supposed to, like, gather people's beliefs or something while they're pleading their case. Mm -hmm. But it still seems sketchy. They're very sketch. Yeah, because it, it, it's basically like you can't lie to it. It's going to know like it's it's almost like a I guess a truth detector um, that like mm -hmm. reads into your soul as well. So it's thought to be always correct. And even though Nouvellet has to also kind of give like his own kind of justice as well, he says that he's always agreed with it. Like there's never been a time where he's handed out, you know, a verdict without actually agreeing with the or she's mechanic. The Babadook. The Babadook. But very, very long story short, basically, we find out that Linny and Lynette do this thing where they put the volunteer in the box in the audience and then they lower the box while the person's blindfolded they move the box underground which they had a specific tunnel built for this like magic trick of theirs underneath the stage and then they pop that box back up on the stage in the meantime they kind of play like a quote-unquote trick on the audience because Linny starts in the box on the stage and then runs underground to the other box in the audience and they have Linny quote-unquote counting but Lynette pops out at one point but dressed as Linny so the audience thinks that Linny is like still on stage even though he's underground and it's so quick that because they're twins you can't tell the difference and I mean she obviously Lynette puts on the Linny costume she cosplays as her brother but we find out that basically Linny, when he was underground, he went to investigate the oratrice and he tried to go into this like back door back to like how the scale of justice works. So he wanted to really see how it works. And he was doing some investigative work on that, which we find out in a little bit what he why he was investigating. And while he was in there, he actually heard someone else in that room. And so he quickly left. And when he came back, 
was it what happened with the girl did he have a like a tussle with the girl or the girl ran away or something like that like the volunteer the assistant is there like trying to splash her with water but she's not originally from fontaine so he's like what the fuck she was like a balloon or something in the top of the box that was supposed to pop yeah and it would have popped with primordial seawater so thank you now you guys refresh my memory the girl ends up being the pickpocketer from monstat and so she gets real nervous because she feels like she's been caught almost and she tries to escape meanwhile the worker is actually someone who is a quote-unquote accomplice to this whole serial killer thing and It's like the longest thing ever. And so he had put a balloon full of primordial seawater at the top of the box. And they had the glass tank from their first trick fall onto the box. And the whole idea was when the box fell, which they had like maneuvered some of the strings and stuff so they would catch fire during like a trick. When the box fell, it would pop the balloon and the primordial water would fall onto the girl. And she would die slash disappear. But this guy ends up getting killed instead because, like, he just gets crushed. Because he's he's... dumbass. (laughs) And then we find out that one of the guards is also in cahoots with the whole thing. And he throws primordial seawater on himself. No, he doesn't throw it on himself. He just combusts. Well, I thought someone threw it someone else threw it on him somehow or like shot him with something i found that very confusing he was about to talk i think he was about to like give give up what was going on and he it's like he got the the dart in the neck kind of it wasn't but that whole kind of an idea of like you know off from the side he got shot with the water and right nobody knows where it came from and like he someone's just, running around with the water gun <laughs> yeah yeah nobody knows who did it and it's just all of a sudden he just turns into water right yeah. he's a puddle so what we don't know in that moment of course is that this woman ran away and she actually changed her clothes to disguise as someone else and that's where navia comes in because halfway through this trial we take a break because farina tells us that Linny and lynette are fatui I mean, we kind of expected that, though, with with the teaser trailer. I did not at all. I was like, son of a what? I'm like, this bitch is a fatui. (laughs) Like, I stopped it and was just like, did that? Because I knew at this point, Fiends and B had already done it. So I was just like, did he just say what I think he said? (laughs) I was blindsided. It was a wonderful reveal. And orphan alert, orphan alert. (laughs) Find out that they were raised in the house of hearth. Mm -hmm. And that the father they keep referring to is Arlecchino, which I got a lot of questions about that. Yeah, but at least now as they say father, it goes in quote in the closed caption at the bottom. Yeah, I'm like, why (laughs) father? I would like to know. (laughs) But we take a break from the trial at this point because Navia is also going to help us get some clues. And, you know, we find out that they're Fatui and Traveler is really upset and basically says, like, I'll finish defending you, but that's it. We're like done talking to each other after this. Yeah, because we were hurt, obviously. It's like they were holding something back from us, you know. So the trial, we go back to trial, and the trial basically ends thanks to Navia, where Navia is actually able to find the Mondstadian pickpocketer, who basically admits that she got into the tussle with the guy, and that she changed outfits to try and hide because she thought she was getting in trouble for all of her pickpocketing. 
Yeah, and Navia just shows up kind of the way that you're even just saying. She's just she's just there all of a sudden. She's very ornate, and we just know that she is a part of the Spina de la Rusula. And uh, she's got two henchmen with her that look like the Blues Brothers. Oh, my God. Yes, oh, my God. They are the Blues Brothers. <laughs> it cracks me up ever since, oh my God. ever since Bean said it. <laughs> but they just, it's like out of nowhere. And we're like, okay, here's Navia. <laughs> saving the day my favorite random fact about fontaine is that not only do they have the blues brothers but they also have the men in black (laughs) (laughs) yes they exist over if you ever find the guy whose head is just sticking out of the sand oh yeah they like we're trying to not let the crabs eat him oh my god i've not met him yet but now i need to find him so fucking bad it is the first thing i did and i was like this boy is stuck in a fucking beach Tiff was sharing her screen in Discord, and she goes, is this a man buried? <laughs> is this a head? <laughs> I wasn't looking at her stream, and I was like, what? I was like, are you the newts? Like, <laughs> like, there's a head on the beach. Like, okay, Tiff, did you take your meds today? Like, what's, <laughs> what's happening? <laughs> now, this brings us to trial part two. Where we find out that Navia, her father is dead, and her father died, and it had something to do with the trial for, well, not the trial, with this, like, mystery of the the people going missing. Yeah, the serial killer from 20 years ago or whatever. And Navia has, like, always thought that, well, let me backtrack. There is a thing in Fontaine where you can either go up against the Ortrees and go into, you know, the court and take your chances. Or you can duel for your life. And we find out that Navia's father did the duel for his life, even though he knew damn well he was going to lose. And he went up against Clarin. Sometimes you got to do their trial by combat. <laughs> and he lost and he died at Clarin's hands. Do you think maybe she killed them with her boobs? Oh my god. No, it's the button button, Yeah, the the button button popped popped off. Flew into his mouth and choked him to death. (laughs) (laughs) I'm glad we've solved that puzzle. (laughs) Detective Paimon is on the case. (laughs) Yeah. Now we end up going on this huge journey with Navia to find out the truth about her father's death. And we find out that Nouvellet was actually pretty upset about the way the trial ended because he knew Navia's father and he felt like it wasn't true that he was guilty. And we also find out that Nouvellet is the Hydro Dragon reincarnated. And one of the first things that Fremenet tells us is that when it rains, it's because the Hydro Dragon is sad. And Navia mentions that after her father's trial, it never stopped raining. Like it just rained for days. And I think that, you know, shows that Nouvellet was quite upset by the way the trial went. Now, I don't remember how exactly this happens, but Child shows back up. And now he is also on trial for the serial killings slash disappearances of these girls that have been going on for 20 years. Which also, Child, is he, he what is he, 22, 23? Like, he would have been still sucking titties. He still is to this day. (laughs) (laughs) Like, when we fully humiliated Farina in the first trial, when she was adamant that it was Lenny and Lynette, and that these two entities, like these these two people were part of this entity's plan of killing all these women. 
which clearly we all know they probably weren't born until after the first murder or maybe they were three <laughs> they, they were too young to be mass serial killers and we really we i mean we did our best phoenix right and i'm so i am i'm very happy that we got that chance <laughs> but we really did like kind of hurt farina's ego and that probably led her to be like I'm just going to point out someone random and this is a harbinger and they're evil and da 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 and her hubris got to her so she's putting him on trial even though she's got no evidence which is why I really think maybe she malip- manipulated the oratrice right because for travelers who don't know when child goes on trial despite the fact that Navia comes out of left field with a ton of great evidence to prove child innocent he still comes out as guilty, according to the oratrice. And before we go into what happens following that, I want to take a step back into Navia's story a little bit, because we basically got the Navia character story already, where we run around with Navia trying to find out what exactly happened to her father. And it's really sad. Like, it's so sad. And we see her cry. That's like the first non-NPC we've seen cry really right yeah yeah she does actually cry so while we're playing inspector gadget over there with navia trying to figure out what happened you know child is awaiting to find out if he's going to jail or not and we basically accuse navia's like adoptive uncle of Mm -hmm. murdering her father Right. And gets into this whole like drug trade storyline where the synth is like being used for things, which is sort of like, I guess it's supposed to be like absinthe, uh, but it's also involving primordial seawater. And it's sort of like the mob basically has this certain guy killed but then it it makes it look like navia's dad is the one that killed him even though he did it and he basically accepts his fate that he's gonna die i think in order to protect navia right because he was worried that they would go after her well they told him that they were gonna go after her right that was confirmed that she was the next victim right up next on the price is right and basically solve what actually happened and she stops hating Clorin, sort of i guess and then uh we go back to the the case which you know brandon you just brought up the whole synth thing while we're doing this case at one point navia actually goes to court for child because also we've become lawyers at this point like we just did like four years at penn state law school in like a snap and we are now the lawyer and navia takes over as lawyer while we actually go to the synth lab basically (laughs) like did we like entered breaking bad Oh, it's dope. I love it. This was so off the wall (laughs) crazy. It wasn't just like the murders. It wasn't just this heartfelt story of like her avenging her father. It wasn't this insanity of mystery of this drug trade. It's everything. It's Phoenix Wright. This is Phoenix Wright. I don't care. It's (laughs) the game is now Phoenix Wright. What is Phoenix Wright? Oh, no. So it's a game where you are a lawyer. You are a defense lawyer. And you basically do what we did in Monte. Oh, okay. 
we find evidence and all that good stuff and sometimes the stories get off the fucking wall well yeah i was gonna say they really did a good job i think with doing like all of these different elements of murder mystery like neo-noir type of storytelling in these first art conquests where it really does feel like you're watching noir or something also while we're in this synth lab we're trying to figure out what's going on and something that we didn't mention that travelers may remember from the start of the fontaine quest is that the traveler at one point like passes out near the fountain outside the court because she hears someone saying Bache, Bache. Bache. And we go into a fountain and like this ocean it is telling us all about like how they're looking for Vache and all this jazz and Navia and Clarend kind of protect us from like all these like mechs that are coming after us. We later find out that they're like actually going after Navia and that's part of how we figure out that Navia's like uncle person is the actual person that is bad and not mm-hmm. child. So when we go to the synth lab, we actually learn the true identity of Vache. Dun, dun, dun. And it's actually Navia's uncle person. <laughs> Marcel. Right. Marcel. And we find out that Marcel, basically, his girlfriend, right? They weren't married yet. They were lovers. That she died because of primordial seawater. And he didn't because he wasn't originally from Fontaine. Correct. Yeah, because it only dissolves people that are from Fontaine. And she died. And he was like, yo, what the fuck? Because it didn't happen to him. And he is the serial murderer slash kidnapper who has basically been taking women and pouring primordial seawater on them in an attempt to try to figure out how to bring his love back. Mm -hmm. Oh, and we didn't even get to the best part. Oh, yeah. We didn't get to the Me Too movement part. Not yet. (laughs) <laughs> and we find out that Vache is Marcel and they're two in the same and that he's been using the synth to kind of test the waters with other things <laughs> yeah he's like experimenting trying to figure out a way to bring his girlfriend back also scary he basically has a fountain of primordial seawater at his disposal there yeah mm-hmm. it is sus and at first I thought that was the only place you could get it. And, you know, we learn later in the Palace of Metropolis that that's not true. <laughs> Fucking shit, man. I also point out that this dude's from Shiznaya, so we should have known. We should have known, but we didn't know that he was from Shiznaya. Yeah, that's true. We didn't know he was from Shiznaya. So we go back and we basically accuse him and we're like, yeah, this is your fault. And they find him guilty, but they also find child guilty. And before we figure out the child's guilty, Marcel finds out that we saw this oceanid that was calling Vache and he asks to see Vache like to see this oceanid oh god and so we bring him out to the fountain (laughs) and um shit goes downhill justice happens is what happens yes yeah it's Vignier right is that how you say it I have no idea. Vignier or something Vignier. like that. Yeah, that's his girlfriend. Yeah. And so we f- we find out that all of the young ladies that he had been kidnapping and murdering, and this is a function of the primordial seawater, is that when someone gets dissolved by it, their memories and consciousness sort of go back into the primordial sea. Terrifying. So they're sort of, you know, returning to the sea in a way. So all of these kidnapped and killed women, their memories and sort of consciousnesses have have sort of combined into one oceanid along with his dead girlfriend and she's like 
oh, hell no. I know you didn't kill all these women just to try to like play God and bring me back to life, you piece of shit. And what did I forget what they do to him? They don't they like drown him? Like, I feel like they murk him. Yeah, they all start kind of like, I don't want to say attacking. But like they all start telling their story. She never shows up just because it's like you're not even going to see her. Like you don't even get to actually speak to her. And like they all kind of let it out that, you know, they are all the different women. And he's like, you know, obviously very distraught. And they just kind of like in this really cinematic, like these shadows of these women just kind of like ascend on him. Mm -hmm. But yeah, he drowns in the fountain of Lucene because of these dead women. It's amazing. Yeah. And that's when we go inside and find out the child is also guilty. And now remember, at this point, child has no vision on him. We have it. So all he has is his delusion and his foul legacy. And he literally is like, this is how justice is done in Fontaine. Fuck that. And he foul legacies it. And all these mechs start coming out to attack him because um, something we might not have mentioned is that there's a lot of mechanical beings in Fontaine mm-hmm. and they are ruled through these energies that I do not understand still. Those are energies that were developed by two characters that we'll get to in a minute that basically are using Conrean technology for their own benefit. And so... Child then decides he's going to fight and Nouvellet sees this shit is getting real and he comes down. He literally just stomps on Child. It was mm-hmm. so funny and satisfying because Child is like, you know, transforming and he's like trying to like, I'm going to be a badass and I'm just going to kill all of these things that are coming after me and no one can touch me. And Nouvellet's like, boop. <laughs> <laughs> Quite literally. But I will say, Nuvalet had a scratch from child. I love it that, like, when Feeniverse played this, (laughs) like, we had very different reactions to the scene. Yeah. I thought it was hilarious that he basically just got smacked down in the blink of an eye because (laughs) Nuvalet is so much more powerful than him. Because he's a dragon. Whereas Feeny's like, oh my God, did you see the scratch on Nuvalet? Child must be really powerful. I had to go back. And like, I had to go search for it and find it because I was like, How did you miss it? They made they made such a big deal about it. I didn't think it was a scratch. I thought it was like child's blood that he was just like, let me just wipe this off my face. No, it was very clear that he was like, this bitch made me bleed. <laughs> he was not happy necessarily. It wasn't very clear. And I will say it starts raining after this because then, of course, they bring child to the palace of Malumai and he goes to jail. And we then basically end the first part of the Archon line. And then they made us wait way longer than I wanted to find out what the fuck is happening to Child because I still don't know. Because then in the most recent update, you know, like I said, we're only going through the first two parts of the Archon, of course. But we then are summoned by Nouvellet. And Nouvellet basically tells us that, you know, Arlecchino came and had some tea with him and Farina. And that Arlecchino isn't really happy right now with what's going on. And so Nouvellet would like us to get, quote unquote, arrested and put in jail. Mm-hmm. And so we have to go to the <laughs> Fortress of Meropede and pretend to be inmates and find out what is going on with Child. Because Child has gone missing. He has escaped from prison. The best part, though, they didn't just pretend this bitch gave us a cake and was like here eat this 
you know, we have it left over. Not knowing that there, we don't know that there is an actual rule that you can't eat an Archon's cake. <laughs> and it was a cake from Arlecchino for Farina. Welcome to Let Them Eat Cake. It wasn't just we're not going to like fancy up some records. We're actually going to make you criminals. They have 45 days in the Fortress of Meripede for eating a cake. I don't know why I found that hysterical. And it's very funny because like the second we get there, we are treated like queens. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> As we should. Well, Damn. actually, that's a lie. The first guy is kind of an ass to us that gives us a tour. And then you get introduced to Risley, aka Worcestershire Sauce, as aka the best booty in the game. <laughs> and you're introduced to him. And he's kind of like, oh, I hope this guy was nice to you. And you have the option to be like, yeah, he was great. Or no, he fucking sucked. And I felt like I was back in my Alfonso moment. <laughs> okay, so which one did we all pick? I said he was great. I said he was great. I think I threw him under the bus. <laughs> Oh, so see, I don't know what happens if you throw him under the bus, but if you're nice to him, later down the road, he actually gives you some of his coupons. Yeah. Oh. He's like, hey, thanks for doing that good thing for me. Here's some... And he he actually gives us the extra coupons he got from Risley for being a good guide. Which maybe we should take a quick second before we talk about our trip with Risley, because like, that made me sweat. (laughs) And just mention a little bit about the coupon system. So in the fortress, they actually follow like a coupon system. So they have like their own money system. The fortress also is not governed by the same laws as Fontaine. It is considered a separate entity. And that is because a lot of prisoners choose to actually stay there and live there after they serve their sentence, which I find quite interesting. So you can earn these coupons, which is basically your mora in the underground and that's how you can afford to do things so like if you want to take off from work that day because of course when you're in prison you got to work which our job that we do is like the most mundane job we literally just press things it's annoying but you get coupons for that and then say you want to take off from work if you have a certain amount of coupons you can take off from work you get one free meal a day like they have this system in place and it's in my opinion mostly because of risley has been there for so long and now that he is the dupe of it and in charge of it he's trying to make it a better place yeah he puts in the system where everybody gets one free meal yeah because he said what's the point of making everyone starve like basically he's like that's not what we're here for so anyway we end up getting a first class tour from risley and i can still remember texting brandon because he was the only one who had finished the archon quest so far and I was like, is it just me or was Risley giving us that tour like the hottest thing that's ever happened in this game? <laughs> <laughs> and all he did was literally be like, this is where you eat. This is the infirmary. <laughs> and I was like, what? I was like, why is this so hot? We got to watch him walk. That's the point. <laughs> so like kudos to the voice actor, Joe Zizia, who is just phenomenal and makes everybody just kind of drool over Brightly just a little bit more because <laughs> he's so good yeah he is he is a good voice actor i'm not a risley obsessed like everyone else but because you haven't seen his ass enough I ha- i've seen it i've seen no, it not enough <laughs> and 
it's so funny because ever since Risley came out in the game, I keep getting these ads now for like, I guess the Risley's voice actor Joe does like voice acting classes. And now Mm -hmm. I keep getting all these ads for his voice acting class. And I'm like, I I wouldn't be able to focus. Yeah. Like, I, man, like, you make me want to take the class, but I don't think I could. I don't think I'd be able to focus at all. Be a distraction. <laughs> There's a lot of random shit that happens while we're in jail. And we do a lot of, like, day-to-day working and deciding if we're going to skip work. And it's kind of very, like, it reminds me of Persona 5 of how, like, (laughs) I get to decide what I'm going to do today. But on, like, a very small scale. But on, like, our first day there when we're walking around with Risley, we actually see none other than Linny. And after we just spent so much time and effort to keep that bitch out of jail. Like, the fuck, man? Yeah, so the siblings were sent there by Arlecchino basically for the same reason, right? To, like, find out what happened to child. What happened to child and something else? They had two missions. Oh, right. I forget what the something else was, though. I think it might have been something with Risley. But also, something we forgot to mention, too. We run to Charlotte right before we get arrested. Oh, yeah, that's right. She wanted us specifically to talk to the warden. And I was like, you can't interview the warden? That was so interesting. That, like, basically no one, no one is allowed in this fortress. No, it was perfect. It was like, all right, Charlotte, we get it. You want us to talk to Risley? And I will happily talk to Risley as much as I can after seeing that ass. So... (laughs) There's just so much going on in the like that we are supposed to be quote unquote doing in this jail. I forget when Linny and Lynette are also investigating. Was it like the disappearance of like their secret Fatui agents that are in the oh, jail? Mm-hmm. Yes. And then we were specifically looking for child because we were seen as his friend. Mm-hmm. So Linny is basically like, listen, we will check in every now and then. You will know because I'll leave one of my fun magic playing cards near you and it'll have a note. Like the most Linny thing ever. And we basically find out the child had escaped more or less. But when isn't this where Fremine goes diving to try to follow child's steps and then gets exposed to the seawater? almost there first we have to talk about the vision the what the vision how the vision gives us like visions of child oh yeah because child gave us his vision to hold on to oh yes i'm like i don't think we said that (laughs) i just listening the way you said it just i heard vision very differently so like we mentioned earlier prior to the trials child gives us his vision because it just ain't working for him and we still haven't so we're kind of getting flustered and we're like we haven't seen child but we've seen Linny. like what are we supposed to do and that night the traveler has dreams that basically shows them where child has been and we kind of just keep hoping to have more of those dreams and one night we do and we see him go up to a group of people that we've actually had interactions with and they talk and they like run out to try to go into this tunnel and so we go and corner these guys and we're like hey what the fuck is going on and they're basically like oh you know master child basically child created a following while he was there because he was really good in like the fighting ring thing they have because there's like a whole fight club moment going on in the fortress and they tell us that child was trying to like figure out a way to escape and that he was going to do it on the day that they cleaned the pipes but then he said that something was calling for him 
And we can remember child saying that. And when we say that to them, they're like, no one else knew that child said that. So now we trust you. And that's when Brandon, what you were saying comes into play with Fremenet. Right. So Fremenet goes out to try to retrace child's steps, which involves him swimming through this water-filled tunnel that apparently had a primordial seawater leak in it. And so Fremenet almost dies, basically. <laughs> so sad. And I believe gets rescued by Clorin. Or yes. is that later? Okay. Mm-hmm. So yeah. So that's sort of when we find out, oh, there's a primordial seawater leak in the fortress. Mm-hmm. Kind of like trying to come up from underneath. And so that leads to us sort of finding out that the basically there's about to be this giant overload of primordial seawater that is going to rush out and just kill everyone. And that's when Nouvellet comes in and helps Risley and Clarence stop it because he still has a little bit of power over the primordial seawater. Not as much as he would have if he were still an actual dragon, but he still has a little bit of power to control the primordial seawater. Yeah. And honestly, the scene where like Risley and Clarin try to stop the water temporarily for Nouvellet to get there was so fucking cool. And then when Nouvellet comes in, it's just, it's cooler. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's the child scene like on steroids. His just to see his like ridiculous power. It's, it's really cool. Right. And we still don't know what happened to child. He still just disappeared. But then we have, you know, apparently holding on to his vision, like has has been giving us the ability to see, you know, through his eyes a little bit. And at the very end, we have a final vision of him in the primordial seawater, staring up at a giant narwhal. (laughs) And then it ends. (laughs) And I I do want to just add one other thing in, you know, while Fremenet is diving and getting saved and stuff like that, Lynette kind of gets like, almost like kidnapped by Risley <laughs> and oh yeah Linny gets like really mad about it and we end up in like Risley's office and we're trying to calm Linny down while he's like yelling at Risley mm-hmm. and Sidwine <laughs> the fucking Melazine nurse of the fortress who is also like Risley and Nouvellet's mom <laughs> so like she shoots him she shoots Linny with like a tranquilizer <laughs> <laughs> she's like oh wait did I do it did I do good? Did I do it right? And she's like, thumbs up to Rise and like, look, I did it. And Rise is like, oh, good shot. <laughs> yeah. And it's basically just comes down to it is Risley knows everything that's going on. He knows everything. Like, we thought we were being so secretive and he knew everything. And then we find out that he's secretly building a giant ship. Yeah. Oh, my God. Brandon, tell us a little bit about that. Because isn't that amazing? Yeah, so this sort of touches in some of the Remuria lore, which we're not going to get super deep into in this episode. What is Remuria? So Remuria was the civilization led by the god King Remus, and it was the civilization that ruled the area before Fontaine was Fontaine. So it's like the previous era of the Fontaine region, and it was wiped out by a flood. Ironic. Yes, and we know that they would sort of go around in these giant ships. We also know that, just as a side note, that they used music to communicate, and that was like their whole language was music. And they had like some instrument that was even larger than the opera house that could broadcast music all the way up to the dome of the sky, which is really interesting. But 
Yeah, it was this previous civilization in that area. And then when Remus fell, like when that whole civilization was wiped out by the flood, it was after that that Egeria became the new Archon and sort of took over what is, you know, current day Fontaine. But, you know, these boats and the I think Remus had this really famous one. To me, it seemed like Riley's ship that he's building is sort of a nod to one of those Remurian ships that they would use. And he's basically building it in secret as a backup to bypass the flooding prophecy so that if the primordial seawater does rush in and make all the water levels and Fontaine rise, he's basically going to have a freaking Noah's Ark <laughs> filled with, you know, pu- like big enough to like house basically everyone and Fontaine in it. <laughs> Which I just want to go back. You were saying Remuria. So Remuria was around before like the Archon War then. Because you were saying that they didn't have the Hydro Archon yet. So that's like many, many years ago then. I'm not 100% on the timeline. I was going to wait to look into that until we do a proper Remuria episode, which I'm sure we will at some point. But like off the cuff, that's the way it seems. I believe so, because we know that Egeria basically was given sovereign powers, but then also became the Archon. So yeah, I would assume that it was before the end of the Archon War. Which, can we just say that, you know, between these two patches, the Archon quests alone, I mean, we didn't really go into anything else, have so much content. Yeah. We learned so much about Fontaine, the previous Archon, the previous world that was there. There's a lot going on. Yeah, first you have the whole ancient history of Remuria, but then there's a lot of lore that happened around the time of the Cataclysm as well. Yeah, and maybe we'll talk a little bit about that. We So I guess, you know, you know, Brandon, you were just mentioning the whole Cataclysm part. And at the time of the Cataclysm, the OG Hydro Archon died, quote unquote. I'm not 100% sure on that. And she became a pool of water over in Pari Land. Before that, if we could just touch quickly on the Melusines and how they were born, because that's a really big part of the lore. It, it goes into Nouvellet's story as well, which is this creature, which I think it's clear was a dragon named Elinus. And it's very similar to Oribashi in Inazuma, where there's a giant chunk of Fontaine that is built around the corpse of a giant dragon. That's crazy. Yeah, so this dragon's name was Alinus, and if you look into it, you basically get the picture that Alinus was similar to Durin, that it was an entity that didn't originally have a form. We've you know touched on this here and there a little bit where we've kind of questioned how gold was creating these creatures, but it sort of solidifies what the method was with Alinus's lore, because before he was born with a body... He was just floating around in the cosmic darkness, which I think is clear as the abyss, until he met his quote-unquote mother, which would be, we're assuming, gold. And gold somehow named him and, you know, figured out a way to bring him into the world and give him a body. And I think this is similar to some of the things that we've read about Durin, where, you know, gold very much was like this mother figure and sort of gave form from this energy or, or whatever that was floating around in the abyss. So she's she's somehow able to take things in the abyss and give them physical bodies into that. Yeah, similar to the Rift Towns too. Yeah. So 
she does that for Elinus, gives him this humongous body. And apparently, you know, he was originally down in Conria because he talks about that later he and his siblings, of which there are many, by the way, took leave of, of their mother and they left the world beneath the earth, which I think we can all assume is Conria, so that they could go play on the surface. And it's just like Durin, Elinus seemed to have this sort of like childlike nature of like, I just want to run around and play. Me? But then yeah. I realize that I'm terrifying everyone. <laughs> yeah. It's so sad. It's but it's like the Oni story too. Yes. So Elinus ends up dying in what is now Fontaine. And you know that its corpse is like laying around for however long. I don't know exactly how long ago. Do you know how they died? No. Mm-mm. But it was some sometime after the going to the surface. So I don't know if it was during the cataclysm or I'm assuming it was before, but I'm not a hundred percent sure. And so then you have these things that are happening around the time of the cataclysm and shortly after, where you have this organization in Fontaine called the Narzissenkreutz Institute. And this was an organization developed to raise, guess what? Orphans. Orphans. (laughs) Orphan alert. Orphan alert. Orphan alert. (laughs) So the director of this organization of the Narzissen Cruz or Narzissen Kreutz Institute was this Oceanid called Lyris. That was the director. I don't know how long the institute lasted before it disbanded, but it basically disbanded around the time of the cataclysm because Lyris and I think the assistant director or whatever basically disappeared because they went to help fight in the cataclysm. But there were these other members, and I think this institute sort of spanned a couple generations, but at the time of the that it was disbanded around the cataclysm, the most recent generation, like the key members of it, besides Lyris, the director, were Elaine, Marianne, Jacob and Renee. So hashtag cast of characters. So <laughs> if anyone has done the world quest involving Anne, the Oceanid, mm-hmm. this is sort of tying into that whole story. Anne is, you know, based on the actual to that character, Mary Anne, who was a part of this institute, right? And these kids, you know, these institute, the institute's children, they enjoyed play acting and pretending to be mages and dragons and champions. So that's why that quest line is very like Alice in Wonderland. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but anyway, after disbanding, Marianne joins the, I always forget how to pronounce this. I think it's Marichasse Phantom, the detective squad that's basically run by Melisines. And so she she basically joins the police force, in other words, while Elaine joined the Institute of Natural Philosophy, which was this other institute. Now, Elaine also recruited their friends Jacob and Renee to also join the Institute of Natural Philosophy. Now, you have Marianne as a cop, you have Elaine, Jacob, and Renee as the, in the Institute of Natural Philosophy. Elaine and Renee end up having a big fight because Renee is like doing these like sketchy research projects and it's like a little unscrupulous. And Elaine is like, no, I don't like where this is going. So they have this big blowout. And Elaine ends up leaving the Institute of Natural Philosophy and switches over to the Marchasse Phantom with Marianne. So he joins sort of the cop squad with Marianne, while Renee and Jacob stay in the Institute of Natural Philosophy. Now, Renee and Jacob are obsessed with Conrian technology, and they start basically applying for like grants and things to use Connery and technology to figure out a way to bypass the flood prophecy 
and Fontaine. So they're like, how can we use Fontaine technology to keep us safe? But they start going overboard with it and doing other things. Like they start experimenting with abyss stuff, including a red gemstone that they get from Durin's remains. They start playing around with Mm -hmm. dark mud from Leeway. Which I'm assuming is like the chasm mud. Yes. And so these two, Renee and Jacob, are like getting into all kinds of sketchy shit. Now, in order to sort of fly under the radar, but like also also recruit more people over into their more sort of wackadoodle methods, they create what's called the Narcissus and Croix Ordo, which is a secret society that was founded. And this was 400 years ago. So this is 100 years after the cataclysm that this Ordo has, has created. So Jacob and Renee create it. And the Ordo was all about using this Conrian technology to bypass the prophecy, right? Um, but they also start playing with Alinus's blood and body parts. Because, you know, they have this giant abyssal creature corpse right there in Fontaine. So they start using its abyssal power to try to create neo-humans, <laughs> which is basically just trying to acclimate a human's body with abyssal powers so that they might be able to withstand the flood. Sounds similar to Child. I feel like Child was that. Right. It could be, yeah. So Renee basically turns Jacob into a neo-human. Now, I don't Mm. know exactly what that means, but Jacob is a neo-human, quote-unquote. Now, after the relationship with Elaine soured because of all these sketchy experiments using Elinus's blood and body, you know, Renee starts recruiting other members of the Institute of Natural Philosophy, which is basically their cover at this point, into the Narcissus and Croix Ordo, the secret society, using some kind of coercive method by Jacob. So Jacob is somehow able to trick people or coerce people into joining the Ordo. So they they get like a bunch of people to join the secret society. Mm-hmm. It sort of, things basically culminate with Renee trying to create a collective consciousness within a new Oceanid to escape the curse. So Renee basically wants to create like a singularity or something. And he, Renee finds the old director of the Narcissus and Croix Institute, Lyris, the Oceanid, and basically dissolves Lyris into just an Oceanid form, dissolves himself and I think one other person to merge his consciousness with hers, and then they are reborn as this entity called the Master. So there's this new big bad in town, Renee, you know, mixed with Lyris, but like sort of controlling whatever this new Oceanid entity is. And basically the plan is like, we're just going to like get absorb everyone in Fontaine and we'll all be like one giant consciousness. And that'll be our way of getting around the flood prophecy. I love that. The master, by the way, creates Caterpillar, which I won't spoil Caterpillar for people listening if they haven't done that world quest, but it's one of my favorite world quests. And it involves a jailbreak from the Palace of Mar. Marshmallow. <laughs> Things ultimately culminate. You have, you know, the Marichasse Phantom, which is like the police force. Remember that Marianne and Elaine are now in that. So they're basically going to war with the Narcissus and Croix Ordo because they're all crazy. And everything culminates in this giant fight that's happening inside Alinus's body. So you have the cops versus the Ordo. During that fight, someone sets off a huge explosion. And during that explosion, Marianne is killed. The master is defeated. And then Marianne's 
mecha companion Seymour, that dog, that's also like where he was damaged. But during this explosion, all these like mechanical parts are like flung up inside of Alanis's body and create all these wounds in his body. And it's from those wounds that the Melusines were born. And this is after he died, which is so crazy that like something affecting his body could then create life so far later. He still does have a consciousness though, like under there because quote-unquote meet him and he tells us some of the story Mm -hmm. in the shape of a melusine which is it makes sense i guess because before he had the body he was just like a consciousness floating around in the abyss so i guess it makes sense that he can still sort of float around as a consciousness (laughs) so if you kill venti will he turn back into a wisp no don't even talk about killing him i don't know because we know that alinus was already like an abyssal creature before Mm, you know he was born as a dragon or whatever but I just think it's interesting that the melusines were born from these open wounds inside the body. So this some cuteness came out of gushing, gory wounds. Yeah. So the melusines have to be at least somewhat abyssal. Yeah. Which is interesting then, like, why does Nouvellet take such care of them, too? Like, why is he so dedicated to them and treat them like his children? Like, Yeah, I don't know. I think he just f- sort of fell in love with them. Oh, by the way, Jacob survived and escaped so jacob is still running around so we have neo-human jacob kind of running around being like one of the main villains of fontaine at the moment but yeah so uh such a casual (laughs) nouvellet loves the melazines and is actually responsible for integrating them with the greater society so around this time around 400 years ago there was one melazine named carol not carol why carol <laughs> i love that we've gone back to like the names like this like monster had barbara and <laughs> yeah. now we got carol which is like you you're first off you're a creature called a melazine born from elena's like i know yeah could you imagine what if her name was like what if her name was like jennifer <laughs> jennifer because you have like mamere and all these other like yeah mamere, yeah carol. some of them are very you know fancy <laughs> but yeah carol was sort of the first melazine that was comfortable leaving the inside of linus's body which is where the, most of them live and nouvellette brought carol out and sort of integrated her with society and that is if you haven't played nouvellette story quest that is y'all want to talk about navia's story quest being sad that is sad oh sh- it all right it is very very sad but it's really good so you should play it <laughs> but yeah that's how the melazines came to be so you know and as you're running around fontaine and doing all of these world quests and stuff and even not just doing world quests just running around and exploring like you, you know when you first find the institute of natural philosophy that's sort of like a flooded research facility that you're in and then there's a room in it where if you read a certain book it transports you to a secret room that secret room was where the Narciss and Croix Ordo would meet. That was their little secret area. So they could, you know, meet and do their creepy experiments and stuff. I hate it. I hate how much this game has random fucking experiments. <laughs> like the Fontaine Research Institute? Literally, like there's a whole institute for it. Like, and you're the area you're talking about right now too, Brandon, with the hidden room, you kind of get to that building when you like talk to that random diver and he like misleads you 
Mm-hmm. that's kind of how you unlock the hidden area that you just talked about too. Yes. I also just wanted to mention quickly, Brandon, you brought up a little bit about the Oceanids and you were talking about like the OG Hydro Archon dying. There was a lot of change in Fontaine around the time of the Cataclysm. The Oceanids left at that point. So the Oceanids were just like vibing, hanging out, loving life. They also worked as like quote unquote spies for the Hydro Archon, although they didn't see themselves as like evil doing spies, they really saw themselves as just going out there and trying to bring the people together kind of in the same way that water does, which is like pretty deep, honestly. <laughs> deep water. Uh, deep water. Deep water. Oh my god. And so there's actually two reasons that the Oceanids decided to leave Fontaine when Igiria died. One being that they refused to accept Focalores. Specifically, Rodea, the ocean that you have to fight in leeway for certain characters. <laughs> she specifically says, like, fuck the new Hydro Archon <laughs> and left. But others actually left because they felt like once she died, the water became filled with pain. Yeah, and I know some of them actually headed to Sumeru because they knew that Egeria was there fighting during the Cataclysm. And then it's like they get there and realize that she turned into a pool. And they're like, well, I guess we're done. I'm just going to go somewhere else now. And it does say specifically, too, that like they looked up at that tree, like the tree of something. It's with an H. Mm -hmm, The Harvest Godum or whatever. Right. They looked at it and it wasn't what they thought it was going to be. And they then they left. So it's also like, what did they think was going to be there? And then they kind of headed out and then you get ocean. It's all- also the water in Fontaine changed, I believe, after the cataclysm because it was sort of filled with more like hatred and bitterness. So it wasn't the same pure water that they were made from. So I think that was another part of it was a lot of them left to find more like pure water areas around to that. That's why they felt like the water was like filled with pain now. Mm-hmm. And that's like, if you talk to Rodea, Rodea, because she's so bitter, actually has like the waters around her are also like bitter. <laughs> But then you have people like the Spring Fairy in Mondstadt, specifically in Springvale, um, who we just met. I forget her name, but we got to meet her in the poetry event, which was quite the hoot. You find out that she went to that spring to try to heal because of the negative, painful waters. So it's very interesting that water is such like an important little factor here, especially when you remember that Nouvellet likes to taste the water and like sample the waters from around the world, because apparently he could tell the difference. Yeah. Hey, I can tell the difference between Evian and Poland Spring, so I get it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know if I could tell the difference between my water and, and your water. <laughs> I really don't. Yeah. I love that Nouvellet drinks different types of water out of, like, a chalice. Yeah. yeah. Before we end, I just wanted to throw out a quick theory I have. You know, we did recently get our trailer for the next Fontaine, and it kind of really made the thought in my head concrete about who I think Skirk is. And so I'm saying this now before the update comes out because we record a little ahead and I'm throwing out that I think that Skirk is the original Hydro Archon. And now Tiff has heard this spiel already. So this has been a thought prior to the trailer coming out. I just want to say that. I think that when Egeria quote-unquote died and became the Amarita Pool, a part of her consciousness went into the abyss. Because we know that that pool is part of the reason that the abyss got closed. Mm -hmm. I think that her consciousness went into the abyss and she was able to get a human body and became Skirk. Mm. You know, I have a few reasons for that. I also had a rebuttal. You do, you do. You can get there when I'm done. 
Um, but I just feel like it, first off, it's very like curious that she, you know, she chose to to train child, like child fell into the abyss and got his hydrovision. And he gets trained by this skilled swordsman who he says is just crazy powerful and he could never imagine defeating. He thinks that he's going to find his master in Fontaine. He thinks he's being drawn to Fontaine for some reason. So I feel like if he thought, if his master, if it is Skirk that is calling him back, that it would make sense that the OG Hydro Archon would be hanging out in Fontaine. I also don't think the real Hydro Archon is dead, mostly because we find out from Nouvellet that there isn't, well, it's like a mixture of Nouvellet and Arlecchino, we find out that the hydrognosis is not in Fontaine. Farina does not have a gnosis. And Nouvellet tells us that the gnosis took powers from the Sovereigns and that if Nouvellet were to get the gnosis and able to was able to reabsorb that power that he would become the full-on hydro dragon again like Mm. he would not be in this like human form and he would not be limited in his powers and let's be honest nuvalet treats farina like a child not with an e just a regular child and they feel like she's just a pawn and a puppet and a showcase and that's why she gets so in her head. Maybe that's the Fatui's whole end game is they're going to try to give the Noses back to the sovereigns to give them dragon forms again so that they can use the dragons to wage war on Celestia. Oh my god, imagine a pep getting all of his power back. A I pep. already want to kill that I ass. I want that. I want it all. I want that. <laughs> Bring back the dragon. But yeah, those are some of my reasons. And then I'll throw in my last reason, which really, you know... I felt like it was the detail that really made me feel like this could be legit. You know, it's one of those crack theories that when it's not true, I'm going to be sad. In the newest trailer, they do show what seems to be Skirk. And there's literally like fins coming out of her arm. I need to look at that again because I missed the fins. I just saw gray hair and I was like, Bronya. Which makes me think she's the narwhal. I mean, what if they're all the same? A narwhal is not a dragon. I mean, you don't know. True, but she could be more of a shop rather than... Could be of a shop. My whole thing and my only rebuttal to Fiends is not actually another theory rebuttal. It's more of a... Skirk has been so important and such a mystery to so much that I don't want her to be somebody else. I want her to be like this whole other story, like this whole other thing we don't know that's going to blow our minds. But I also think it'd be so cool for the original Hydro Archon to have like a, a villain storyline. Yeah, I, I believe the puddle, though. I think it could be both. There's a very interesting um, video. I believe it's Cat with Blue Hat. I'll link it onto the site. It kind of goes through the newest trailer that we have for the new update that'll be coming out. So I'll it'll include it. They go into the whole like little wingy things and, you know, it'll obviously have a little spoilery type thing because it's theories and ideas and stuff like that. But it's very interesting. And I watched it like a whole bunch of times with my mouth on the floor. <laughs> so wait, Al, before we were recording, you also mentioned a really interesting theory. Do you want to like throw it out there? All right. So we know about the Curse of Fontaine. When researching a lot of this, again, a lot of Greek comes up. A lot of, you know, this reference to Oceanids is part of the Greek family tree when it comes to the Greek pantheon. And so then I thought, oh, I remember Atlantis is a full allegory for Athens hubris. 
Which is why when when going through the Archon quest, one of the things that really, really stood out to me was the hubris of Farina. How like her pride and her ego is so easily like poked at and that will provoke her to do some obviously uncalled for shit. So I feel like a lot of the curse is something similar to Plato's story of Atlantis in his teachings of Timaeus. And basically Atlantis, in a way, was brought down by hubris Mm -hmm. and then brought into the sea. And to me, I feel like though it might not be a direct parallel, but it definitely to me with the trailer as well, I think Farina is going to have to like set her ego aside for this prophecy to either be avoided or else it's going to be fully fulfilled. (laughs) everyone gonna be uh wet forever not wet wet in a good way or wet in a bad way wet in a very bad way they're gonna drown Hmm. but there's a lot to say but the fact that (laughs) there's a lot more connection or a lot more parallels to plato's greek story of atlantis and the curse of fontaine and what will happen with fontaine if nothing you know stops it it's it's kind of compelling Oh, absolutely. And it almost makes you wonder if it's foreshadowy. Oh, absolutely. Foreshadow. I will say this all the time. Atlantis is not a real place. It was an allegory for Athens because Plato saw what was happening in, you know, his home and wanted to, you know, call it out like buddies. Like, what the fuck? You're gonna, you're, you guys are assholes. Sometimes I forget that Plato's real. Like, I always yeah, say, like, Plato is real. God. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm like, is, does he know Athena? <laughs> <laughs> no, he talked about a little bit of it, but no. Ooh, but I think that's an awesome theory to end the episode on, Al. So I hope everyone, you know, lets that sink in, just like Atlantis. Um, until next week. <laughs> Thank y'all for diving into the deep, oh dark, lore-filled ocean of Fontaine. I hope you're able to shake off some of the, I don't know. That's all I got. I tried. Uh, anyway, thanks for Thank coming with for us. Thank you for joining us in our bathosphere. Our bathosphere. Thanks for taking a shower with us because we all need a cold shower after meeting Risley. <laughs> if you like this episode you, or you want to let us know what you want to see in the future, you can send us an email at talesofdevotpod at gmail.com. Following us on Twitter, Tales of Tavat, or following us on Instagram, Tales of Tavat Pod. Also, please feel free to rate us on whatever listening platform you're using. It helps other travelers see that we aren't terribly lost in the abyss. And um, just in case everyone didn't know, we are on YouTube now. And if you're interested, you can go to YouTube and watch some of our past Twitch streams that we've done, see our episode shorts. We have a collected miscellany playlist of our own where we put some of the cutscenes and all of our episodes are on YouTube. So you can feel free to check that out. Until then, safe journeys, travelers. We'll see you next time. Bye, nerdalettes. (laughs) (laughs) You're such a nerdalette. I'm a big nerdalette. Nerdalert.